and just bolt out of this room down escalators and ended up like in the bathroom in kind of a flood of tears and in that moment I was like that's it my career's dead these people are never gonna you know take me seriously or pick me for something like this but sometimes you have those moments and I think that was one of the ones that maybe planted a seed that was like I'm not gonna run again like I'm gonna never be that arrogant or whatever to, to not think you know I need to own that story prep that story and and tell it properly. In the early days, it was about, it was kind of design thinking without knowing we were design thinking. It was research. It was, okay, how many people can we talk to? This is a sample size of three. Are other people having the same kind of challenges? What are the biggest challenges that are coming up? How can we read more on this or figure it out? If we were going to do something, who else would we need? You know, because you've got like three people who've been exposed to the problem or have experienced it, but are certainly not qualified, in our view anyway, to be necessarily going out and solving it. We had a bit of a like, who would we need to get involved in this? So it was about if, you know, if we were going to create something, what would that look like? And you've got to act. That's the thing as well. Like it doesn't have to be on the business. It's not like, okay, when the business is the right business, the idea is going to come to me. It's like you've got to have a whole bunch of shit ideas. Like I was thinking of doing a dog, not that this is a shit business, but a dog walking business was like one of them. Opening up a nail bar was like another thing that we threw around. There was like all these things that were part of it. And then that, yeah, the screenwriting was a process and like, you know, four-hour work week was like an amazing book that was like in my life at that time as well. Another one, Be a Free Range Human, which is um, a Marianne Cantwell. It's like if you are feeling that burn, you've got to find what you can and just act on it. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Y2 Podcast. Here on the Y2 Podcast, we're all about changing the narrative and rewriting the book, but what it takes to be successful for those aspiring to be on and currently traveling the entrepreneurial and entrepreneurial journey. Here on the podcast, I find and interview everyday successful entrepreneurs, entrepreneurs, and thought leaders and dive into their stories to discover what it takes to actually get started and be successful on their journeys. This podcast is meant for everyone and anyone who aspires to do more than they're doing now but perhaps doesn't know where to start, feels overwhelmed with the prospect of change, or has either been told by someone else, or maybe themselves, that you just can't do it. This is all about uncovering the real stories by people like you, who have taken those first steps and are well on their way to success in order to help shed light on how you can live that life as well. Now, before I introduce you to today's guests, I wanna take a quick minute and thank the Y2 Podcast official sponsor, YZ. YZ is an easy-to-use online training software that makes it so simple to create and deliver online learning. I actually love this product so much, I reached out to these guys and wanted to work with them as I see the power of the system for clients. The online training software is very flexible and you can use it to automate a whole range of tasks in your business. For example, you can manage all of your employee training, you can train customers and partners in your products, you can track licenses and qualifications of your staff, create and sell online courses, capture more leads with free online courses, and so much more. Make sure you jump over to their website, yz.com, that's w-y-z-e-d.com, and check out some videos and even get started with your own free 14-day trial, and let her know I sent you when you head on over. But back to the show though, and today's guest is Fiona Triaka. Now, on the surface of it, Fiona's career makes no sense. 
Currently, she's the founder and CEO of a company called Naked Ambition, where they teach the habits of innovation to corporate mavericks so they can solve complex challenges, seize opportunities, and lead their business into new territory. But if we scroll back on her CV, you'll see that she actually received a master's of creative media and screenwriting. But then if you look at her working life, you'll see that she did have a short stint in film, but she quickly switched to the world of investment banking, where she spent the next eight years before finally starting Naked Ambition. When I sat down with Fiona, my question was really simply this. How does somebody go from TV to investment banking to UX consultancy and training? What I found was a very interesting insight as to the fundamental skills, insight, and mentality that she used to climb her way up in the investment banking world, where she quickly identified an opportunity that led her to start her business. This is an especially important chat if you've ever noticed a problem in your industry or the nature of work and had a brilliant stroke of insight as to how you might change it. Fiona shares a lot of critical insights as to what she thought was going to work and what didn't during those early days of starting her business in order to pave the way for people like you listening this to realize your own ambitions. Now, if you like what you heard so far and you want to hear more stories like Fiona's, please make sure you subscribe to the YT Podcast wherever you're listening to this and it'd be awesome if you can leave a review, especially on iTunes. At the end of the day, these stories are meant to educate and inspire you to take meaningful change in your life, and there's plenty of episodes of the Y2 podcast coming in the future, as well as a secret new project to be released soon. But you have to make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss out. As always, you can make sure you follow the Y2 podcast at www.projecty2.com. That's Project Y, the number two.com. Special thanks to Belinda Coombs for Red Lemon Productions for being the Y2 podcast audio engineer. And with that being said, Let's get today's chat. Fiona, welcome to the Y2 Podcast. Great. Thank you, Justin. Thanks for having me. Um, I'm absolutely delighted to be able to sit down with you as well, and I'm sure my listeners are cluing in very quickly. The audio is a little bit better this time around. I'm sure my uh, audio engineer, Belinda Coombs, is going to be delighted that the uh, audio is significantly higher quality. So I want to thank you for um, having me into this wonderful little recording studio. And on behalf of my listeners as well, thank you for not having to listen to a uh, $150 audio setup. <laughs> so I appreciate <laughs> you having me down today. No, it's cool. It's fun. It feels very, um, yeah, very official. I know. Like the real deal. I feel yeah. very official. Joe Rogan or something. F- oh, absolutely. Look <laughs> out, Joe Rogan. Here I come. Here we go. Um, so like I said, I really appreciate you, um, you know, having some of your time today. You've got a very interesting journey. And um, like we were speaking about beforehand, um, and as my listeners well know, when I'm looking at um, potential guests, I'm always looking for that, wait, what moment? And sometimes I hear about it through a variety of, of uh, news stories. And I had actually uh, discovered you because you were a, a finalist um, for the uh, Best Talent Development Program with a, a large superannuation company um, in the AITD Excellence Awards. I got that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. Excellent. Yeah. And so I had clicked on that. I was a little bit curious as to what that was. And then I discovered Naked Ambition, who obviously your business, and we'll talk more about that in a little bit. Um, but from that, I was looking at your LinkedIn and I went, okay, hang on a sec. We've got a... Um, an arts political degree, become a screenwriter, stockbroker, <laughs> design thinking. Like what? Like what? I don't, I don't get that. So, um, but having sat down with you and obviously talked a little bit, uh, very interesting story and uh, lots of gold to happen there. But 
as always, we, we want to go back. Um, as many people probably know you as you've, you are a, a professional speaker, you've done lots of different speaking engagements, but as we were just talking about, um, it hasn't, haven't always been as polished and clean cut, shall we say. <laughs> and you had a rather interesting story uh, from something that happened quite a long time ago that um, uh, I'll, I'll let you take it away about the presentation <laughs> you did. Um, yeah, I think when you were talking before about funny stories, this one, it's just a bit of a more horror car crash story, but I think there's some, it's definitely for me anyway, some good lessons in that. But it happened um, when I was probably about three years into my career in um, investment banking over in London. So um, I'd been called upon by one of the senior people within the business to say, you know, we've got these grads who are coming through. It'd be really cool if you could come up and tell your story. It's a bit unusual. And you've kind of made it into the bank and I think we want to sort of sell different parts of the bank and it'd be good if you could get some people onto your desk and give them a feel for what you do. So um, being like the arrogant little upstart that I was at that time, I was thinking, you know, I, I know my story. I don't need to prep. I'm just going to rock up and win that How are going to be? <laughs> you were just, you know, talking about what's going on. And then it was all kind of like deep GFC. So I was like, oh, you know, mm. I'll talk about what I'm doing and I'll give them this kind of rundown of Euro debt crisis and, you know, it's all going to be awesome and whatever. And I just grabbed a couple of like stock standard slides that were kind of sitting in our team deck and rock up and I click these things in anyway, I get in um, to this presentation room and there's about 50 of them and I see them and they're all kind of like about my age. Like mm -hmm. it's sort of this audience and all of a sudden I'm like, oh my God, these people could be my mates and just went into this like, you know, when you go so inside your head, like this massive spiral and also looked around and I didn't realise but there was like some really senior members of the bank there as well because they'd obviously been presenting to these kids that mm -hmm. afternoon. And, um, you know, I start talking and... They've been listening to presentations all afternoon. It's about 2.30 and they're half asleep. Yeah. And I begin and I click on the first slide and a few words come out and then just nothing. Like someone just switches off the tape, just erased everything in my head. I could not find the words. And I'm just standing there just looking at all these different faces and they're kind of gradually waking up from this like afternoon lull. Starting just to like sense, this. smell that <laughs> something's going on here. Why is she talking? Oh my God. And the fear, you know, and then you're starting to sweat and yeah. your stomach drops. And I'm just thinking, what is going on? What is this? And I look around and they're suddenly, you know, really alert watching this car crash happen in front of them. And... I luckily was sort of rescued in that moment by another director who was a pretty cool guy who kind of jumped in and sort of started to talk about some stuff and then clicked the next slide and tried to hand back to me basically, just kind of save me. And then I thought, I'm fine, I'm fine, I got this. And I jump back in and start talking again and then the same thing happens. And I'm just like, this is it, it's really gone this time. Mm. So I stand there for like another minute desperately scrambling to find these words, just this horror going around in my head. And I look at them and there's, you know, some of the spanas and they're sort of laughing and stuff. I don't blame them. I probably would have been too. <laughs> and then I'm like, okay, what do I do? I can either, you know, like, fess up to this, um, you know, and just tell them how I'm feeling. But I, I didn't. I took the total opposite angle and I bolted from the room. So it was like drop mic, not in a good way. <laughs> I dropped clicker <laughs> and just bolt out of this room down like cross the road from where we sort of worked down escalators and ended up like in the bathroom in kind of a flood of tears and 
Um, just, you know, and I was in that moment, I was like, that's it. My career is dead. These mm. people are never going to, you know, take me seriously or pick me for something like this. But like, I think, I don't know, you don't, sometimes you have those moments. And I think that was one of the ones that sort of maybe planted a seed that was like, okay, I'm not going to run again. Mm. Like I'm going to never be that, <laughs> you know arrogant or whatever to, to not think you know i need to own that story prep that story mm. and yeah and tell it properly so weirdly enough kind of it's probably about eight years later that's become a large part of what i do now yeah yeah that visceral learning that's burned into yeah it's like you know and i think there's like that empathy there as well sometimes you know when you see people speak and yeah. and i like still you know now i have like moments where I get super nervous I never quite go back to that place mm. but it's like there is that thing that's still sort of sitting there that you know I think I think nerves anytime you're speaking yeah. are good it kind of shows that you respect your audience and it really sh- can sharpen you up as well but mm. it's just about learning how to use them yeah so after having such a uh, uh traumatic experience if that's <laughs> if that's not being too over dramatic what what did it take to get you back on stage for uh, a second presentation essentially I did not basically like avoided speaking then for much of my career Mm -hmm. working in banking I was responsible for doing this Monday morning meeting it was called the Monday morning Mm wrap-up and so you know like I was in my 20s as well and so you're having like pretty large weekends and I just like start this kind of fever (laughs) you know from it started creeping back to like Saturday night where I'd just be dreading this Monday presentation and it only you're only required to speak for five to ten minutes or they would just like get away anyway you Mm -hmm. know we've got to hear from 20 different departments but um yeah I used to do this presentation but um, really, really dread it, but force myself through it as well just to kind of do that. It mm-hmm. wasn't probably until I started naked and started talking about things I really loved and believed in that I felt really confident. Mm-hmm. I don't think any time within my banking career could I ever, you know, stand up and confidently talk about convertible bonds, <laughs> you know, <Yeah. laughs> and, and like pricing and IPOs or, you know, and I think there's there's a lot of like imposter syndrome in that sort mm. of thing. It's yeah. kind of like I, which people probably were not even thinking, yeah. but, you know, it's like they're like, who is this person? Why are they talking about this? Blah, 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 blah. Like I, week by week, but I forced myself to do it for probably four years, yeah. but I never enjoyed it. Um, and that's probably the difference between now and and then. I think. I, I, I think that's great. Um, I've done a bit of public speaking. I, I, I love the whole element of it. But I I personally think that like that or acting or anything you're sort of in front of an audience, it's an amazing exercise, not just from how to speak to people, but an amazing insight into some of the darkest places that yeah. hides in our psyche, yeah. where all of a sudden you can just you can just assume the most like mean shit. <sighs> That you're thinking, oh, fuck, these people probably think I'm stupid. Yeah. It's like, why would they think you're stupid? Like, they've probably got no idea what you're about to yeah. talk about. And if they think it's stupid, well, fuck them. Like, yeah. <laughs> they're, not, they're not the one up there totally. doing it. But it's such an amazing, like, I think anytime anybody can ever go through that yeah. and just listen to those those thoughts. Yeah. What an amazing insight into those. But, like, the two best pieces of advice I've ever been given about speaking is, one, it's not about you. So stop making it about yeah. you and that and whether, you know, it's about I'm, you know, I'm going to look like the hero here or it's that horrible, that negative voice that is telling you the darkest things about yourself, mm-hmm. even just reminding yourself I am here for the audience and even if I share the smallest thing, it's 
something. Yeah, still enriching. Yeah, Yeah, that is just something for them. And then just trying to remember as well, like just think about yeah, that one thing that you can bring an audience mm-hmm. and respect them and that usually gets you through as well. Like yeah. you don't have – they want you to succeed. That's it. Like most people, yeah. unless you are an absolute asshole, <laughs> yeah. you're not sitting in the audience going, I hope they bomb. Yeah. You know, Here's you're actually going, yeah, <laughs> like, you know, everyone's going. And even if they see, you know, you see someone sweating or you see someone struggling, you're kind of going, come on, yeah. you know, you can do it, you know, that – Things. So I think if you remember that, like they're there for you and you're not, you know, you're not there. If you, you're serving them as well, that, yeah. that might get you through. It's a great philosophy for life, mm. I think. In general. Yeah. I appreciate you sharing that. That's uh, that's wonderful. Um, so as I alluded to um, during the start to go back, your where you started your early career wasn't even close to where you went where you are now. Um, no, you did uh, you said an arts and a political science degree. Is that mm-hmm. right? Yep. And what was your master's in again? Uh, screenwriting, so creative media screenwriting. So why why screenwriting? What mm. was sort of the early evolution? Like, what did you envision um, your life would be like? And by taking screenwriting, you get that was yeah. being a, a writer or playwright. Film or? director is what film I really director. wanted to be. So that <laughs> that was my big dream yeah. that I'd kind of harbored since I was probably about fourteen, fifteen, mm-hmm. um, and then I did an arts degree because the way most people do it, just kind of got the score that mm-hmm. landed me in there. So I picked the university, did that. And then I went away and did a little bit of travel, um, just did the kind of European Kentucky tour thing for about four months <laughs> and then came back and it was that, well, what am I going to do? Um, mm-hmm. And then I just thought, you know, I had I had actually a, um, a kind of a moment where I was like, do you know what, I'm going to give it a crack. Um, and applied for this screenwriting degree, which is pretty new. It was like a new course that RMIT were running, mm-hmm. um, and I got in. So I was like, let's do it. So that was like an 18-month master's, and I did 12 months of it here, um, and then they let me write the uh, exegesis, it's called, like a smaller kind of thesis when I was over in London. So, yeah, it was, wow. yeah, it was an interesting course it was kind of because it was a new day like i think when they're doing new university courses they're always a little bit hodgepodge trying to suss it out trying to see yeah and, and they're yeah. just that you know like rmit was is the place for that sort of thing and they're mm. trying to build up more of those courses it wasn't i wouldn't say it was the best most well organized course but it was yeah it was really interesting to mm. learn about screenwriting so do you remember what it was about that career that really captured your imagination mm. like was it being seeing your name up on you know, TV screen or movie screen? Like what sort of really made you want to – it's a pretty serious devotion of a lot of time and money. Yeah. Would you go that way? I think it's just the, the telling stories element, um, which is still in me, mm-hmm. still something – it is actually still something I would really love to do um, and I've done like a little bit of it on the side. But it's – yeah, I think it's genuine – it's telling the kind of stories that you want to see. Mm-hmm. And I think here – um, I mean, I think well done to everyone in the Australian industry, but I'd lot like it'd be so awesome if we just had more of it, you yeah. know, and I shouldn't be saying that if I'm not contributing to it, but you know, like I think we, there's, there's probably some really awesome cultural stories that could be told, um, here mm-hmm. and there was, it was that as well. So it was probably a case of, you know, being a bit of a, like, loving films and being a bit of a film buff and then being like okay i think i could make something i can do this i, I can, can do this, this. i yeah. can tell these stories yeah. or, or tell others yeah tell other stories yeah um through this powerful medium kind of thing definitely yeah yeah, yeah. 
So uh, you did. So you got that degree. Now, uh, as you mentioned, you went to London as well too, mm. and you started to work there, didn't you? Yeah. So I, I kind of had this view. Well, actually speaking, like a lot of people that were in the masters were actually had worked in the industry and then were coming back to get another qualification. Mm to then get more work and there was a lot of discussion about it's a very small industry here, there isn't a lot of work that you can get. Moving to London had been something I'd sort of always wanted to do um, since I'd finished school. My older sister moved over there. It was a bit of a rite of passage in our family. Everyone had kind of done a Mm -hmm. bit of a stint. And so then I thought, okay, I can do both. So Mm -hmm. London's obviously a much bigger industry. One of the um, really kind people from the course gave me an introduction to um, a small studio that was owned by Fox called Screen Films and I made a couple of inquiries and then moved mm-hmm. and then was lucky to get an interview when I got over there and started working for that production company. So it was a, as a, a runner yeah. basically. So you kind of rock up and it's like no one gives a shit what you've studied or <laughs> yeah. who you are. Or, you know, it's basically like there's the bike, yeah. that is the list, go and get the lunches. Yeah. Stuff um, from the bottom. Yeah, <laughs> stuff from the bottom. And I like being in Thailand for a month, like just kind of a client, you know, <laughs> smoothing the transition <laughs> over to London. Um, and yeah, got like got this job pretty much like a couple of weeks in to landing there, which was really really good. But it, um, yeah, it was it was um, yeah a bit of a. It's pretty funny the way they just like yeah, get on the bike. And it was middle of winter. It was snowing. And I hadn't learned things like proper jackets or gloves or just like come totally unprepared and Wait, not dress for like Northern Hemisphere. Yeah, which way would you coming from Australia? Exactly. Gloves? Fire Thailand. I know. <laughs> I remember once I like collected the bikes and I had my hands were actually like frozen <laughs> over the handlebars and then put them under the hot water. But um, but it was good. Like it's, you know, that that's the point. They want mm. you – you move really, really quickly. You don't stay in a role for any longer than like a month if you're – doing the right things mm-hmm. but yeah they start from the bottom that was good now how long you were in the role for i think less than a year wasn't it uh, a bit over a year about 14 year. months 14. so yeah started there in like jan and um got sacked in the uh march on my birthday oh happy birthday Fiona. <laughs> by the way there's the door uh so uh was it just end of production i'd imagine just sort of like a, uh it was end of production yeah. but it was also just i was new to london and i was partying really hard mm. so you know you're supposed to be there at kind of 8 30 8 30 turning to 9 9 10 to 9 30 and it's just a bit like okay you're taking the piss and by then i'd actually i'd moved up and i wasn't doing the running anymore <coughs> i was a researcher um was working on some reality tv programs and so it was a bit more – it was a more serious job yeah. and they'd taken a bit of a punt on me and I probably wasn't really respecting what they had given me much. So looking, I was pretty devo at the time but looking back on it, I think it was fairly fair. Birthday <laughs> or not, yeah, <laughs> they've yeah. got to run a business. Yeah, yeah fair enough. Now what yeah. did you do – because your next part of your story here is kind of a bit serendipitous if that's mm. fair to say. So what did you do after you left that role? Um, so, yes, yeah, so I finished up there and then – the head of that studio was actually trying to – we were still good friends and he was trying to get me into um, the BBC where we, there was another production happening and um, and it was just taking a couple of weeks or whatever and my boyfriend at the time, who's now my husband, was working in finance and he said, you know, you just need to – if you want to pay off your travel debt, mm. I had like 20 grand worth of travel debt from both trips and uni and all that kind of good stuff and he's like – just get a job in banking like it was 2007 it's kind of pre it's a roaring you know wolf of wall street kind of days over there jobs are just pre-gfc pre-gfc yeah. like everyone you know 
it's basically just hire you for attitude. Yeah. So, yeah, so he's just like, do that. So I went to one of the recruiters um, and then they put me forward for a job at um, ABN AMRO, which is a Dutch bank over there that, yeah, and then basically the, the role was this, um, as a, it's called syndicate assistant, it's basically a sort of secretarial role working on the trading floor but within the investment bank technically. Mm-hmm. So you're doing sort of private offerings, um, IPOs and raising capital for different companies and stuff. Of course, none of that I knew about. <laughs> I didn't know any, you know. That wasn't like lesson three and part of like screenplay writing. No. Like, here's IPOs, <laughs> like, here's, you know. Even, even the kind of assistant side of things, I was like, I didn't even think I knew. Like I wasn't even a particularly good typer. I quit maths in as soon as I possibly could. Yeah. I think they brought it forward at our school to like let you do it in year 10. It yeah. was kind of veggie mouths. I elected for that. Just had gone into all the creative side of the stuff mm. I possibly could at that point. And, um, yeah, and so it was just, you know, way in over my head but at the same time was working with awesome people. The head of the desk was um, an Aussie guy who was a legend Um just yeah really really fun time to be in there and it didn't take me long to sort of think hang on this is pretty exciting um you know I wonder if this is something I could do more seriously mm-hmm. so how did you start to climb the ladder then from mm-hmm. there so you had this role and that became a permanent role yeah. what was the what was your climb like I suppose those first yeah. kind of early early years or early bit yeah it's probably like snakes and ladders would be the best <laughs> way just genuinely yeah. to describe it like it was a battle the first three years. So, the, you know, I think it's like weird that thing of every beginning is kind of a little bit easy to mm-hmm. get you in. So I was sort of, like as I said, I had that really cool boss and we were working, I was working, it took me about three months to go, this is awesome, maybe I'll stay in this a little bit longer. And then after six months I was kind of like looking around going, hang on, maybe there's a, you know, a job I could actually get on the banking side of things mm. that I could do here. And we, while we were technically kind of part of the investment bank, it sits by, it's called a Chinese wall, basically sit behind like the glass and can't tell secrets to the people who are on the trading floor because mm. that's markets. Um, without going into too much detail, you, you are exposed to the people that are sort of, that do work out on the trading floor. And the, the divide between investment banking and... Um, your stockbrokers, your mm-hmm. traditional stockbrokers, is huge. It's almost like a class divide. So it's like, you know, the Eaton dudes go become investment bankers yeah. and people – because it's still there was open outcry and pits like not that long before. Yeah, so, so I was going to say like this is like like Wall Street kind of like you're waving yeah, in the air trying yeah. to like buy, I buy, mean, buy. they weren't anymore. And then it's, you know, when I'm there it's like six screens, yeah. you know, it's like your Bloomberg things and stuff. But it's like – but, yeah, the early days a lot of the – people that worked in there had actually been 15-year-olds who'd started in those open wow. outcry. Yeah, so, you know, they ran back and forth yeah. with tickets and that was it. And they'd really worked their way up. It mm-hmm. was that kind of um, if you've got the right attitude and if you'll, you know, you'll work really hard, you can. So I was spending time with those kind of people and that sort of encouraged me to think, okay, maybe I could do the same thing, mm-hmm. which was sort of true and not true in parts as well because we were still technically in the bank. So... Um, yeah, so that the early days I – like my basically my plan was firstly I had to get qualified. You have to do a certain amount of um, certificates mm-hmm. to actually be able to give investment advice to talk to anyone. So Makes sense. 
<laughs> Fair enough. Um, and I did, I did that course. I think I, I failed at least once the exam, um, but managed to get through that. And then because I was living in share houses at the time, I couldn't go home and study because it was too noisy. So I actually used to stay at work and study. Mm. So that was kind of something that was, sort of, I guess, seen by people. It wasn't deliberate at all, but it just got noticed that mm. what are you doing? Why are you still here? You're a secretary. You know, you can knock off at five, blah, blah. And then so I was doing that. And then I'd sort of started having conversations with people and talking to people and just trying to find some mentors, not necessarily doing it in a really deliberate way, but just getting some of that going. And then that boss that I mentioned that was really supportive, the GFC hit and he quit and moved back and I got in another boss who was just like, don't care what you've studied, don't care where you want to go, not interested, like you're my assistant, yeah. F off basically. Um, so that was like, oh my God, that, that was kind of 18 months into this journey and I've thought, you know, yeah, I'm going to have this kind of rapid rise mm -hmm. and then the universe conspired to teach me a lesson and back you go and which was probably again like one of the best things that ever happened because he was he'd been over in Hong Kong he was massively he was really really well respected um, within the bank so if you could do a good job in his eyes then obviously you must be doing okay mm. but it took me a good 12 months to really prove myself with him and it was asking consistently for more work like at that time as well the GFC had well and truly hit we're talking about like 2008 mm. so there was a hiring freeze on new grads so they had a shortage of people on the desk that could actually do the work so, yeah, so you had an opportunity at a gap. Yeah. yeah and I noticed that like the, the what would start to happen is as the as markets closed we would then get the opportunity to pitch ourselves into other deals and things as well mm -hmm. after markets closed we'd be doing the banker work so I just stayed like again, my role was like till five, five thirty, mm -hmm. but I just stayed till they stayed, and just always tried to be one of the last people at the desk, one of the earliest people there, talking to people in and out, just picking up work wherever I could, um, just trying to make it clear that, like, I could prove myself. A couple of times I turned into work to him, and he just like stood up over the desk and just screamed at me for this thing just being a piece of shit and do you really think like you can cut like was that kind of yeah. thing like you know in some companies call HR but yeah. in that environment it was just like yeah. toughen up or f, f off yeah. like so yeah so that and then so it took a little while and then eventually the decision had to be made either I became an analyst and I had to go back on a grad program which would put me like three years I had to rotate around the bank mm -hmm. but he was like I don't want to lose any more of this team I need this team so then they just I skipped analyst and just became an associate which was just a massive stroke of luck yeah um, but I'd kind of done the analyst gig as you know within that other title so well like as you were going through this I know you talked about you liked it because you saw the people of it but what would drive you to I mean, you're working extra hours to study it, but why would you want to study it? I mean, you're in London, have an amazing time. It's it's London. Mm. Um, why would you want to sacrifice? What made you sacrifice your evenings and doing all this extra work and getting berated by a boss <laughs> about shit work? I mean, what, what kept you going? What were you working towards out of that? Well, it's just, it was genuinely really, really interesting work. So it's kind of you, you're, whether you were listing a company which were kind of few and far between once the GFC happened, like IPOs start to freeze up. Mm. Obviously, people are not putting money into companies that they don't know 
a lot about the unproven valuation, whatever. But because the debt markets closed, the equity markets were open. Mm. And so we were roaring for that first year. We were doing loads of transactions. So if you got to work on a deal or on a company, you've got to become on our desk like an expert in that company. Right. So it's, you know, you like, you don't know anything about transport and infrastructure and all of a sudden, you know. Crash course. Yeah. yeah. And then you're in the back of the car with the CEO because you're going on a road show mm-hmm. and you're listening to them talk to investors and, you know, you just might be carrying around their books or, you know, as long as you were hungry and willing to learn. And it was like, I guess, curiosity. Yeah. Like it was like I realised I was lucky to be able to see this going on you know in one of the financial centers of the world so it's kind of like figured out i'm in the middle of something here i want all of it like i want to see all of this and so yeah understanding these different companies meeting some really amazing people working with really really smart people um, as well and also understanding finance because even you know even though i'd close my mind off to it it's obviously something as well you sort of like it'd be so good to know about mm. that like imagine really understanding investments and understanding you know, actually being decent at maths and then i found that i well i actually wasn't as shit at maths as i thought <laughs> it was more of just like an attitude yeah. shift you know created a so mental model that oh, this is hard i don't get yeah, it i'm bad at it totally. and then you don't focus on it and then you yeah. just do become inherently yeah. weaker at it because you don't pay any attention to it 100 percent. and i yeah. reckon that's just like from one shit teacher that i had when i was in year eight yeah and it's like you have one and you switch off and then you miss a whole year. And once you've done that, it's like languages, it's gone. Yeah. You cannot get that back. And then I think learning it within banking in a practical sense, because, again, this stuff just didn't make sense to me at school of why we needed to use this and where we would use it. Mm-hmm. Whereas even banking, which I think still now, I think in some ways it deliberately makes itself um, fairly opaque. Mm-hmm. It, it, it is deliberately confusing yeah. people because then you can Mystery charge more. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So people, yeah. So there is that. But then when you when you break it down and think about like what are we selling? We're selling parts of a company. Mm-hmm. We're selling them at a discount because we need the money, <laughs> uh, or because we're unproven and we want people to get involved in this. So it was you know, and so that that I guess the. Sorry, in summary, mm. curiosity really kept me going. Again, great people, the mood of the time and being – it was all people spoke about at that time, whether you worked in finance or you didn't, the GFC over there, mm. it was just splashed all over everywhere. You know, you've got like Greek, Greece crashing one day, yeah. Lehman Brothers going down. And Very da-da. topical. So you're to- like in yeah, the epicentre of exactly. this big thing So it's this on. thing, you know, and you've got, you know, mates who are kind of walking out with their boxes and things going on and we yeah. we were at ABN AMRO and then we got acquired by RBS and it, that was a massive transaction and you sort of – the uncertainty as well mm. was kind of – you know, it was interesting and it wasn't like I had – you know, I, I think it was pretty horrific for a lot of people who had kind of houses and kids in schools and things like that that were getting laid off. But, um, you know, from this perspective, it was pretty it's exciting. Yeah. Mm. And two things that I love when you're telling that is just this idea too that it's curiosity for curiosity's sake because mm. what you don't know, you don't know. Mm. Um, and, uh, I mean, I think there's so much value in whatever it might be, even just like – you know, just if, if you're researching something, you're learning about something or, and you don't understand it, look it up because mm. that might be something that um, just curiosity with curiosity's sake. And I've been really bad for that up until probably the last couple of years where I was very much, I'd pass information through a filter to be like, is this relevant to me now? 
no, well, I don't care about it then. Mm. And it's all of a sudden like, uh, now that I've opened that up, it's amazing how all of a sudden you, you have such a broad skill set of knowledge that if you're sitting down having a chat with somebody, um, learning about somebody's story, you're like, oh yeah, I've got some gist of this, I got some things I can pull into play. So yeah. you never know where that's gonna come up, um, whatever it might be, whatever that little key is to mm. be able to help somebody out or be able to meet somebody or engage with somebody or just for the sake of curiosity. Um, and the other thing too that I love, and this is something that I think is becoming a, a, a theme through the podcast too, is trying to look at trying to look at opportunities and um, trying to find, sorry, looking at situations, trying to find the opportunity as well too, mm. because obviously you were at a point where it could have been, you know, was really negative, was really challenging, but still still being able to look at it and say, hey, here's an opportunity where I'm going to get really good exposure or something I wouldn't mm-hmm. normally get. Let's just take it and see where it rides with it, kind of thing. Yeah, and creating those win-win scenarios where. I mean, on the lower case, you just win a little bit and you get a little more knowledge and you get some credibility mm-hmm. or the upside, I mean, infinite upside in terms of what that skill, that that learning and all that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I suppose from, from there, um, as your story transitions on and obviously as um, I'm sure listeners are picking up, you're very much a go-getter, very much chasing that curiosity, all that mentor. And, and that started to culminate in being recognized. And mm-hmm. you were actually chosen for, um, correct me if I get this wrong, but it was uh, a future leaders program as well, mm-hmm. too. Yeah. Um, can you take us through a little bit about what that future leaders program was? So um, it it felt like a big deal at the time, and it kind of bombed. <laughs> it wasn't real. It was a bit of disappointment. I was future female leaders within the, um, the RBS Bank, and they'd um, I think they just decided they kind of they like most financial organisations had a bit of a um, gender balance pro- problem um, and they needed to elevate some of the women that were within the bank. So um, they tapped a few people on the shoulder and we were told that we were going to be part of this sort of future leaders series and um, educational series, mm-hmm. so a leadership program um, and we'd find out more about what that meant and blah, blah, blah for our careers. So I got really excited about it. And um, Why did yeah. you get excited about it? What was sort of the excitement around that? Um, I think I think it's just recognition, isn't it? Like I think I was kind of pretty excited that, yeah. That, and I think as well there was still, I just probably through all of banking I did have like I wouldn't have diagnosed it at that time, but I had a lot of imposter syndrome going on of people like, oh my god, they're going to find out. Like, you know, I I don't know what EBITDA means. Like, <laughs> this yeah. is, you know, this is like this always just this kind of chasing your tail feeling. Um, and then, you know, you had moments where you were sort of like, okay, this is it's going to be okay or, mm. you know, um, maybe it's okay to have a, a different story or a different kind of yeah. path in as well. They so, don't have to be like yeah. everybody else. Maybe there's uniqueness or strategy in exactly. that, which obviously is part of the reason why. Yeah, that they were picking up on yeah. or whatever. So, yeah, so that was good. So, and then I, um, I'm one of like eight children, so I messaged, you know, my brothers and sisters back home and mum and dad and I'm like, this is so awesome, I don't know, you know calling people I'm really really proud and then when it came to sort of the day which I thought was day one of you know 12 months of Mm. whatever it was going to be was the day you know and it was kind of three quarters of a finish like nine o'clock finished at like three and we did our disc profiles and talking about how to have difficult conversations with our male bosses and blah 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 blah. and then it was just like see you later good luck (laughs) now go feature female leaders of the world change the business fly fly (laughs) and it's just like what you know this is like and just talking to some of the other people it was just like god this is what is really this is what is passing for um leadership you know at this time and Mm -hmm. I think 
there was that and there was also kind of a culmination of, of again, you know, you, you're getting to see what's going on in other companies and you're getting glimpses and talking to sometimes mm-hmm. some great leaders of those companies and, um, and I was just thinking this is not happening in this organisation. And there's also a big... Um, I think I believe very, very much in earning your stripes early on in your career mm-hmm. and I've got, you know, that career so much to thank for, you know, so many things I learned. But I think definitely the structure of um, those organisations keeps people down for too long. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of very good people that don't necessarily have a voice that spend like 15 hours a day on a PowerPoint presentation. They never actually meet the client that they are putting together this piece of work for. So they have no context. Mm-hmm. And then you just bashed if you've made a mistake. No, not literally. But <laughs> yeah. Like yeah. If you know, if, a, if a, a bullet point is in the wrong place and it's just that the bigger picture I think sometimes really gets missed and I think a lot of really good talent, certainly from, um, from where I was looking and maybe this is not representative of the whole industry but I think some really good people were leaving who had some great character mm. and the thing is it, you know yes it's about the numbers and the spreadsheets and valuation whatever it's about but it's about the people at the end of the day mm. and that's you know if you're bringing your company to market you want to trust the people that are doing it you want to like them you've got to spend maybe four months of your life yeah. with these people and I think a lot of the people with character were moving on, weren't necessarily having a hand in what could be the future of the bank. Um, and so these were sort of seeds that were starting to be planted early on. Little observations you're picking up and yeah. going, oh, I don't like that. Or yeah. starting to break down some preconceived notions that people thought, a massive bank, clearly they'd have mm. like 100 people working on this and it would be, you know, amazing program with defined outcomes. But it wasn't, no. it wasn't really around that. No. Um, so... The nuggets started to form, but um, you then um, – it was at this point, I believe, that you were then having a chat with your um, your sister mm. about this as well and talking about these nuggets. Mm. Um, can you take us through a little bit about that part of the story there? Because mm-hmm. I think this sets up kind of the next transition. But what yes. a story about like how were you kind of discussing it? Like why – I mean, why was this really important to really be talking about this really? Why not just being like, oh, these programs suck? Yeah. Oh, well. Yeah, I think it was it was probably eighteen months to two years later that those conversations started. That was probably that would have opened my eyes to it. Mm-hmm. That sort of failed future leaders program, um, and then it was a couple of years later. I was again we were acquired. The desk was acquired by another different bank. It was a US bank. Um, the last one I worked at and working there. That's, that was where I was starting to see that mm. um, some of those great people being kind of pushed back pushed down, back down yeah. a little bit. Um, and so that that was sort of the conversation that started with my sister was like, hang on, I think if they're not careful, they're going to lose some of these guns. You know, I don't think it's – I don't think you need to do that much to keep those good people mm-hmm. happy. Um, and had also been exposed a little bit to innovation, corporate innovation through um, a program that – was run at the other organisation through What If. And then so this conversation over just a rosé with my sister when I came back to um, Australia for a break in the January and we were sharing stories. She worked at another um, big bank here and we were sort of talking about what what was going on, I guess, mm. and what we thought the problem was. 
and the training that people were getting wasn't necessarily from our experience. Mm. It's a very small <laughs> sample size. Yeah, sample but. size. Um, but yeah, so so I guess it just started as what would it look like if it was awesome? Mm. You know, what what would it look like if you could create the kind of training that you wish you had a few years ago? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's just where we just started kind of brainstorming, I suppose, unofficially over a few wines of what what could be amazing. Um, And then I went back, so I was going back to my job and she started to have a conversation with um, our sister-in-law who'd also worked for another large organisation and still was. And she'd been involved in a few little bits and pieces within the sort of learning space as well. She was a banker but she dabbled in some of the sort of networking Mm. pieces and we were like, okay, what? Then we just started to have a series of conference calls, you know, when you're on that, that you said before, the kind of Google Docs phase mm-hmm. where you're starting to explore what could this thing be. So was really. it, I mean, when you were when you were going exploring this, because I think, I mm. mean, this kind of circles around, you know, one of the core elements of the podcast is whether it be a business or a podcast or a blog or whatever you're trying to do to live that purpose-driven life, um, you know, a critical element is a lot of people get to that Google Doc, Google Doc phase if you will but I'm really curious for yourself when you were sitting down with the other two and to have these conference calls was it actually exploring to say we know what the problem is now Mm. we've got it pretty clear what's the actual solution look like or I mean what was the whole goal of kind of having these conference calls and discussing this further in the early days it was about it was kind of design thinking without knowing we were design thinking it was research it was Mm. okay how many people can we talk to Mm. you know this is a sample size of three (laughs) um who are other people having the same kind of challenges what are the biggest challenges that are coming up um yeah how how can we read more on this or figure it out you know if we were going to do something who else would we need Mm. you know because you've got like three three people who've been exposed to the problem or have experienced it Mm -hmm. but are certainly not qualified in our view anyway to be necessarily going out and solving it Mm -hmm. um we had a bit of a like you know who would we need to get involved in this so it was about if you know if we were going to create something yeah what i guess what would that look like so it was kind of what's the problem and what actions are each of us going to take to get more on this Mm. so so during that phase as well too, I think you touched on something again. I think a lot of people listening to the podcast will kind of echo to themselves as well to say, look, I get the problem or I get the this the scratch that needs to be itched, but I'm not qualified to do mm-hmm. it. I'm not a developer, I'm not a coder, yeah. I'm not insert whatever the problem that they think they need to be addressed with the the, the, the mm-hmm. skill set or the role. Um, why didn't you, why didn't you just kind of get to the point of saying, look, none of us have really worked in this why bother with somebody else? Mm. Why did you keep pursuing that and keep wanting to chase? Because then we sort of, I guess we figured out that the problem was bigger than we had thought it was. Mm-hmm. So it was big enough to really need to be solved. And then we were kind of like, maybe part of the problem is that the same old stuff just gets churned out, yeah. you know. So maybe we could be part of the solution by not being necessarily qualified to do it because we will come at this from a totally different angle. Mm-hmm. It's again like we'll deliver what we wanted to see and we won't necessarily um, – yeah, we won't do it in the kind of traditional executive coaching. You can reverse engineer it from the problem, yeah. not trying to build it with the solutions. Yeah, like yeah. what if, you know, like and even, you know, how many just shitty, 
boring like workshops you've been sent to where you're actually just like checking your phone or blackberry yeah. or whatever you know whatever it was just like i i really should be somewhere else and it was like our, the challenge that we set for ourselves was like can we even change that experience and mm. that's something that that even though the business has been through different cha- like different iterations that has never changed mm-hmm. it's always been about the experience if you're getting people out of their work day then it better be amazing yeah. and it deserves to be amazing and you should respect people's time for that and you know could we create something where participants were begging to go on it not bosses were sending people <laughs> on yeah. it you know it wasn't tap on the shoulder it was like me 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 yeah. me like that kind of experience mm-hmm. um yeah and and then so then it became a kind of let's throw out everything that is traditional about the workshops the big dusty workbooks was like that was kind of part of our original website spiel you know the big folder that sits underneath you with your shoes your high heels on your under your desk you know mm. and becomes a footrest or something in the cupboard that you mean to look at over the holidays and you just never yeah, do yeah, yeah exactly so just like throw all that stuff out you know, let's get people more involved. Let's train them about things that, you know, are relevant now. So the early days, it, be, it actually became around that, that storytelling element because mm-hmm. it was then it was like, okay, if we don't think we've got the skill, the, you know, we don't have the learning and development background, mm-hmm. none of us are qualified executive coaches, what skills do we have? Yeah. So it's like we've got the sort of storytelling side of things. Um, Erica had been involved in networks at the bank that she was sort of working in as well Mm -hmm. um and my sister had done like yeah bits and pieces of coaching so that was that piece as well so she dipped out really early in the business and then it was about um erica my other co-founder and i figuring out what were the skill sets that we could get so it was just then to answer to your question what can we do and what can we leverage and then who else potentially could we pull in if we needed to. Mm. So when you were going about this process, you, you kind of alluded to the fact that you were starting design thinking without design thinking. Mm-hmm. Um, but without going into like what design thinking is, uh, just in case people at home don't know what it is, it's a great thing to research and almost I'm sure we'll talk about mm. it in a moment. But um, you know, as, as I think through this process, and, and if I'm honest, probably as I think back to my many Google Docs of my many future world-changing <laughs> ventures I want to start, um, by the sounds of it, you did an actual like research phase so you were really just strictly looking analytical you weren't trying to solve the problem necessarily imagine there's some conversations about how mm-hmm. but you did a research phase and then you started to sort of do it in a more methodical process is that is that fair to say loosely, kind of, loosely? yeah okay. like i mean i'd love to say it was that coordinated but it, it was really just about us trying to figure out what question we were really answering right and what problem we were solving and then that's when it actually became about Okay, again, what do we know the most about? We're also women, fairly early stage within our career, mm-hmm. who've had this challenge. So let's niche in on that. Mm-hmm. So we were consulting other people as well at that time around, you know, what is the best way to launch something like this? And it's like we'll specialise in, you know, again, this is a design thing, thing, but we didn't know it, but like, you know, if you're your user, mm-hmm. that can make it easier in the beginning. It can cause problems later on because you just you think you know everything about the problem. Mm-hmm. But yeah, we we were solving something that we genuinely did understand. So the early, the very, the beginning of the business, certainly for the first two years, really was about women early on in their career and their career progression and how could we mm. accelerate that 
in ways that weren't necessarily being done before. Yeah. And and from that, as you're going through that process, and I've kind of already asked this, but I want to go back to it again, is how did you balance the intellectual side of <laughs> data and information and these interviews and this sort of gathered data collection and managing that versus the sort of emotional side of like, oh, fuck, we're not qualified to do this. And maybe this problem's too big. And why would people take a couple, you know, young ladies in their early mm. their career, take them seriously? I mean, how did you how did you go about sort of battling, if you did at all, mm. I, sh- I, should, I should state, but how did you sort of battle that like monkey mind? Like, you know, you're back up on yeah. stage going, oh, they're going to laugh at me and they're going to make fun of me. And mm. all. You know, how did you sort of balance that through that early part of that sort of um, discovery process? I'm for, in answer to your question, firstly, you definitely had that, like had that like crazy for the first couple of years. Um, I guess it was, it was we uh, for one thing, we didn't try to create too much at the beginning it was you know let's just create a couple of workshops try and make them as awesome as we possibly could we didn't um we were big believers in selling things before we built them (laughs) as well so it was about you know again a lot of it was about customer discovery so you're going out and finding out okay what's the problem that you've got particularly with your group this is the way that we see it how can we create something together that will solve that really, mm. which is not that unique, you know, in this, it's the way that most of these kind of organisations operate. But yeah, so so at least we knew whatever we were going to deliver was going to be answering their need, mm-hmm. at least from what they understood the participants needed. Mm. Um, yeah, and I think, I mean, I suppose it's like sometimes finding the balance of stretching yourself enough that we were pushing ourselves a bit further and we were learning things Mm -hmm. and then not so much that you felt like you were a total bullshit artist, you know, because you can't – and people are really smart, you you know, you you can't stand in front of people without the correct story or expertise to Mm -hmm. back up what you're doing. So it was kind of about finding that balance. And this, you know, this this, we just live in a world now where – with Creative Commons and everything that's out there, you know, you can you spend enough time doing the research and building these products and things, you can make them really good. Yeah. So yeah, probably what we might have lacked in um, coaching creds, mm-hmm. we would make up for in just trying to make it cool and innovative and ex- exciting and experiential and that sort of thing does yeah. that answer that yeah absolutely a hundred percent um uh, and one thing if i think back to uh, rohi bagava who's got a really interesting story i've interviewed on the podcast he works quite a few he works quite a bit with startups both through his business and also his podcast um and one of the things he talked about was the whole i asked him a similar type question the whole business planning stage more mm-hmm. a bit abstract uh, a bit broader sorry than I asked you but the thing he talked about too is he had the same thing he, people go too big they try to plan for every eventuality and there's actually some really good models out there um that frameworks actually probably a better way of saying of really helping you to kind of go through that that yeah. that stage yeah. instead of trying to like what i did i went to business school and i thought oh, i've got my degree i'm mm. i'm fancy and <laughs> i'll crack open my textbook and it's holy shit i'm not trying to run an like a multi-billion dollar enterprise in year one um i really just want to go i've got a problem and i need to figure out a way to address that problem in a really yeah. really minimal sense and that's something that i think um kind of like what you said can you kind of went through that it's sort of the same thing it's just a framework um, but but going back then, so you had this chat, had these conversations. So what made you finally go, all right, 
I'm earning probably pretty good money in investment banking, mm. working for a pretty large credible organization with obviously you're getting picked out for some stuff. There's probably a, a career path ahead of you that isn't unrealistic to mm. more money and more prestige and all that sort of stuff. So uh, why did you then leave your business and start mm. your business or leave your role and start the business that you do now? Um, it, it took me probably about 12 months to build up the courage to do it. Mm-hmm. So it had been brewing, even before that kind of conversation with the wine, had been brewing for a little while. I had this, I'd actually st- gone back to screenwriting. I was writing a screenplay on the weekend, a story of something that happened with my dad. You're trying to find 30. that creative element? Exactly, like, yeah. So I was getting back to that. I was, um, one of the books I really love for like providing creativity is um, The Artist's Way, mm-hmm. Julia Cameron book, which is big on journaling. So I'd got back into journaling, which is like something I'd taken up at usually like points where I was sort of struggling at whatever was going on and I got back to that. And then what had come out of that journaling piece a few months before was I really, really want to start something of my own. I want to do something that has purpose, that has meaning, that is Mm -hmm. contributing, but I just don't know what it is. I could kind of see... Um, I could see the shape of it, the feeling of it, the colours of it, but I just didn't know what it was. Mm -hmm. So this thing had been bubbling away for months before, had that conversation. Then because then I had people I could do it with, that gave me the courage. I think I needed needed the Mm -hmm. co-founder to be able to make that leap. And then once there were people that were going to be there, that was it. Give you the confidence to take the step. And I think – and my um, husband and I have been living in London for kind of nearly eight years and we'd always like – one of us would really be loving our career and the other one would be hating it and then we'd be like this on this kind of seesaw. So we never wanted to go home at the same time and it just so happened we were both in this moment where it was like, do you know what, we're done. This is it. So we were sort of planning our exit strategy for a while and then I was like, okay, what if I just – leave and then I start the business going back we'd already decided we were going to live with his parents so Mm -hmm. we could save for a house so I was like okay there wasn't that massive pressure of income um you know he was hopefully going to be able to get a job pretty quickly so Mm -hmm. it was like we had this discussion and he was pretty supportive of that so that's like okay awesome we've got one income I'll give this thing a crack I think we can really do it. So better runway to kind of give yeah, a shot. Yeah, exactly. So it was just like kind of a you know I think I just said like just give me six months and then six months turned into a year. <laughs> but um, yeah, but uh, give me those six months and I I think I can hopefully turn this into something mm. and let's see and yeah. So that's that's what then um, gave me the courage I suppose to jump. So combination of like the burn had got to mm. the, you know, that kind of feeling that you've got in your gut where it's like, I've got to do this. Um, Chris, who was really supportive, and then the co founder. So it's like, it's never going to be, you know, I don't think it's, you know, it's such a, it feels like it's quoting a meme, but, you know, it's never going to be the right time. Yeah. It is never going to be the right time. But like, it couldn't have been more right than this yeah. to come back and just, yeah. One thing you said as well too, and um, I know I've been seeing as this is December, this interview won't come up till 2018, but um, you know, one thing I've been sitting on and I've gone back to listen to some podcasts and I think something I've missed um, that's come up and it was really apparent in Adam Jellick's podcast episode was this idea of this, this, this burning sensation. Um, and I think if I, I think that's, I think that's what I'm trying to do with the podcast. I think that was my discovery of the podcast, mm-hmm. essentially, is, you know, people that are listening to this were like me. They didn't necessarily know how to articulate it, but it's that burning kind of, yeah. like, 
fuck, I'm not, I'm going to this job, I'm doing this activity, but it's not, it's not enough. I'm, I'm, I want more. I'm, yeah. I'm hungry. And um, Adam, I, I think if I can quote this correctly and if I get it right, it, it wasn't, you know, most people talk about butterflies, but his, it was, it was, it was fire, it was pain. It was discomfort mm. that you're feeling day in and day out because you're not living that purpose driven so life, right? You're yeah. not in the chair driving it. You're going to a job and you're letting somebody else drive it. And I see this a lot of the time as I look back and reflect and part of the reason why um, I started the podcast was very much like you. I was going, okay, well, this isn't satisfying me, but I need to do something. So I'll start. Uh, you know, screenwriting or, mm. you know, it's like people, I've got a friend I was chatting with the other day. She started a, a not-for-profit because her job wasn't satisfying. And this is what it's all about, right? Mm. If you're feeling this, that's okay. That's the whole point. So you're not supposed to shy away from that. It's supposed to be a bad thing. Yeah. It needs to be a good thing. And in fact, where I've, my shifting has changed a lot is actually using it as a tool. Totally. Feeling that discomfort. Get, yeah. get let it burn. Let yeah. it sear. Let it, let it, let it drive you fucking mad. That's the shit that I've missed yeah. out. When people talk about they're up at 2 a.m. because all they want to focus on is their thing. That's what it is. Yeah. And not everybody feels that. And that's okay. Whether it's just, you know, happy for the job and, you know, whatever it is, you just love story, you know, you're listening because you love stories. But it's that thing yeah. I think I finally go, oh, I get it now. And you've got to act. That's the thing as yeah. well. Like I think you don't – it doesn't have to be on the business. Yeah. It's not like, okay, when the business is the right business, the idea is going to come yeah. to me. It's like it, ideas – you've got to have a whole bunch of shit ideas. Like I was thinking of doing a dog <laughs> – not that this is a shit business, but a dog walking business <laughs> yeah. was like one of them. Opening up a nail bar was like another thing that we threw yeah. around. There was like all these things – that were part of it and then that yeah the screenwriting was a process and like re, you know four hour work week was mm -hmm. like an amazing book that was like in my life at that time as well another one be a free range human mm -hmm. which is um a marianne Cantwell. it's like if you are feeling that burn like just you've got to find what you can yeah and just act on it like i think i think yeah, consuming content at that time is really important. Mm -hmm. But again, there comes a time to like stop yeah. consuming and start creating. Yeah. Like it is this, you know, whether it's doing exactly what you're doing, which is like questioning and gathering and the kind of that piece that gets you closer to it yeah. or becomes it, you know. I mean, this is a business yeah. as well, right? Mm -hmm. So it's like that just whatever it is, yeah. it's about action. Yeah. But like imperfect, massive action imperfect action i think is like and still you continue to do that yeah absolutely yeah. and again something that um jason price said in one of the first interviews is and he analyzed me correctly he was a good friend of mine uh tr tremendous tremendous human uh love and adore him he he spotted it in me mm. that i am i'm very analytical so i will have a google doc that is like 100 pages long and yeah. i've done so much shit but it's paralysis and then through the podcast interviews that's been again another thing where it's like you know you need a certain level of ignorance to mm -hmm. do it ignorance is actually an advantage not a disadvantage to yeah. a certain point again I'm not trying to downplay just you know quit your job now and go start a business there's a smart way to do it but mm. but still being able to take that action still being able to inspire that action and that's again what i want to do for this podcast is i know that sometimes it can seem a little bit like oh all these people are successful but shit everything works so well and they mm. get a bit of money or they come from that industry it's like no no, no not at all no, <laughs> no that's completely fucking wrong like no like here's this wonderful fiona like investment banking design thinking like you know, didn't have 30 years in this in this area mm -hmm. to be able to go, man, okay, I'll start my own business. How hard can it be? You know, mm -hmm. but that chasing that problem, but that action. Um, yeah, that's that's my soapbox. But I think like, you know, like clearly you're 
like, but the super organised part of what you do, like, ain't even the experience of just working with you on this podcast and the layout, like, you're so organised, so prepped. It's just, that, like, that's going to really serve you as mm. well. So that is as well. But then there's an, an element of kind of ambiguity that you've clearly just gone with because yeah. you don't know where it's going to go. You've got to lean no, into no, no. it. Yeah. yeah, you don't know where each story is going to go. There's only, like, so much of that you can kind of control. But, I mean, even to people out there who are in that kind of, you know, I want to start something but I have to have a million-page plan. Like, you talked about resources before. Like the lean startup stuff that's all that Ash Marana stuff is amazing mm. that if they just – look up like even just completing a lean canvas for a business idea is phenomenal like that we use those daily for clients but but if like if i had had that years ago it might Mm. have saved me two years you know it's it's, you don't know what you don't know but part of that journey there's you know that that's what i think the difference between you know every minute there's it gets easier Mm -hmm. i think to launch a business which is going to make it harder and because there's so many different (laughs) things out there as well but if you've got persistence there's just you know again another cliche but there's no better time to start yeah absolutely (laughs) and the other thing too you you said i'm making t-shirts absolutely that would be my business i'm just gonna have all my all my guests in a quote kind of thing so i think i'll be wearing andrew mckinnon's quote today (laughs) Um, no, hundred percent. And the other thing too, that you said that I, I really want to touch on as well. And part of, um, what I thought I saw with your, with your story is, um, you know, using, using your strengths to the advantage and sometimes weaknesses aren't actually weaknesses. Mm. Um, and I think that's critical. And I can think of a few people I've had conversations with, think, oh, I've got this, I've got this weakness, quote unquote, um, that they perceive. And it's like, well, how can you turn that into a strength? Mm. Um, and it's not, I'm not trying to be kumbaya, like, you know, everything's positive and, you know, believe it and it'll happen kind of mm. thing. But but really trying to intellectually use that same thing that's driving you to fearfully analyze the shit out of it and actually try to open it up and say, well, what if? Yeah. Um, and something I'll be talking more about next year and something I'm really passionate about at the moment and is about asking better questions and about having better questions to ask yourself. Not just asking better questions mm. of other people, but having an actual framework you can actually ask questions so people know the five whys. But yeah. actually using that as a counterbalance, and mm. I've been using it as a counterbalance to that over-analytical side to start to start weigh things out a little bit more um, and try to remove the monkey mind. Um, so, oh my God, like just don't make me go all Tony Robbins on this, but like <laughs> he talks about um, your primary question. So all of us have this primary question and even you just saying that, like that, acknowledging that primary question changed my life completely so it's for most of us it's an unconscious question and it'll be something that's actually going around in your head over and over all day so if you're a business owner a really um i think a a really obvious example of and a really common example is like why am i not here Mm. wherever here is why am i not successful why am i not making more money why don't i have a bigger team all these kind of things there'll usually be one of those and as part of a like process that you do in his courses, it's like identifying what that one is. And it usually comes down to why am I not good enough yeah. is the question that is underneath it, but it has different manifestations. But acknowledging that question and changing that question is so important. Mm. Like, you know, maybe we'll talk about this kind of later in wobbles, but for one of the biggest wobbles I've had in the business, that question was a version of 
why am I not enough or why is this business not where I think it should be mm-hmm. at four years. You know, every time I open up Smart Up, Start Up Smart, somebody's raised this much capital <laughs> yeah. well, and is doing this. Yeah, exactly. Facebook or whatever, yeah. Where the fuck was Surgeon Larry at this point? <laughs> like, what is, you know, like this, you know, comparison, horrible thing you get and it's just this comparing, comparing, but it was like why isn't it at this and, and um, as part of a course I did, um, you know, at one of his courses, it was changing that around to like, how can I appreciate and enjoy everything that we have created as mm. in we in the business and build on it? Like, so every day just be, you know, genuinely practicing gratitude in that way of like, you know, this is as awesome as it needs to be and it is where it needs to be. Let's go from here. And like once that shift happened, it was really, really conscious for a small amount of time, but mm-hmm. once it happened and it was sort of started to become like in me, changed everything and remains like I don't need to say it every day but I believe it all the time that whatever is built has been built and it is what it is and it's bigger than me now and then let's do something else Mm -hmm. let's move on instead of yeah yeah oh I could I, I I feel like I could do a whole podcast like Completely new podcast, just on that idea <laughs> alone. Question, yeah. um, because if I look back to the disproportionate value that my life has, the things that have disproportionately changed my life for the positive, um, meditating, which people know a lot about, mm-hmm. um, and the areas that meditation's given me, gratitude. Um, and there's lots of different ways to approach that. One area I'll just quickly talk about, because mm-hmm. I've talked about this already, is um, Jocko Willing. Um, uh, I've you know Jocko Willing? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, you had yet. Um, he's got really Not good. Personally. No, no, <laughs> yeah, fair enough. He seems like a pretty intense dude. Yeah, um, but he has he's got Killed um, people. yeah, yeah. I wouldn't want to be on the wrong side of him. He looks like a pretty mean dude. Yeah. Uh, but he has his most uh, his most recent book is actually on Spotify, mm-hmm. and you can listen to it. And one of the things he talks about is that he does, and I think it's gratefulness is how I interpret it, how he does it is an exercise I love. And it's if something happens to you and it hasn't necessarily a inherently negative connotation like it's raining or the client deal didn't go through or you didn't get the raise or whatever mm. it's it's saying good mm. it gives me more time to you know great I love the rain it gives me a chance to choose a different route or that's good there's other people out there we can do business but be trying to focus on a positive side and focus on the great the, the, the gratitude that can come from an inherently negative situation mm. and trying to flip that around um, cool. and I, I think that's good I used to do the, the, the journaling every day um, but I kind of I kind of felt like I was kind of listing the same things over mm. and over again um, so it's definitely different ways to do it but that that was a way that I'm like yeah okay this bad happened good gives mm. me something to improve upon or yeah. something else different so stuff like that um, but going back to awesome pardon that's an awesome attitude yeah, yeah. it's not always easy yeah. um, and, and I'll admit as well too that as I say that and for the sake of, of you know being human on this podcast is it's not it's not an inherent gut reaction mm. it's not something where it's like you know shit Dustin somebody stole your stuff I'm like I'm still like fuck like it really really fucking sucks um but mine that's where mindfulness comes into play where i can i have a bit of a gap between that reaction and then trying to then go okay i need to i need to press play on this this gratitude thing and i need to sit on it think about it and actually do that so it's not totally yeah it's not something that comes easy and it's still something i'm very much uh still very much going through but just to sort of echo what you said that it's something that you know, you do it, you do it for a while and it becomes bigger than, and it provides this foundation that then just becomes just sort of easy, mm. right? I mean, not easy, but, you know, provides a really solid foundation to build off of. Is that, is that yeah, completely. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's because it, 
that mitigates fear a lot as well. You know, then you don't have to be fearful of when this mm. thing is when thing is that it is going to go wrong because you can handle it. Or I, I think yeah, it's a good attitude. Yeah. yeah. Or or even mitigating as well to actually trying to cap box that fear yeah. up as well too. So the fear isn't just this infinite mm. uh, dragon. It, it has. It has a face. It has a name. Mm. You can start to put something around it. I think, um, but but from there, I think this is a, a really good transition point to talk about how you start the business. But um, and something we spoke about um, that was really um, really interested about your story is I think a lot of the times there's a belief. Um, maybe this is just sample size of me in like three conversations, but there's a belief that's like once you start it, that's it. Mm. you know easy easy street yeah. you're mad in it like oh, it's it's all happening now right yeah. like move over zuckerberg you know i'm gonna beat your ipo whatever it might be um <laughs> but but once you start that's sort of the first step mm. in into the next roadblock and focusing on those things we've talked about gratefulness and and whatever other things you need really provides a foundation not only just help you get started but really carry on mm. um so i'd love if you could take us through sort of those, those first couple early years of um uh, of starting it yeah. A certain uh, naked ambition. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, so, yeah, so we sort of, I guess, mentioned that that loose research, unofficial kind of research phase. The the way that we then launched the business was by probably quite similar to this, but it was a blog at the time. So we were writing about what we did know. Mm-hmm. So that helped us figure out what we did know and what we could teach. And then the most popular blogs kind of became the workshops that we would then of course, so you're getting feedback on that blog. Yeah, and like, hey, we so need that to was kind of a, a way of developing yeah. the product, um, and then interviewing people as well. So interviewing people had a great, uh, you know, few benefits because it it exposed us to their network, so it gave us greater reach. It obviously taught us a lot mm-hmm. about again that problem space, but also what really successful people were doing. So there was that piece as well. Um, and then gave us, yeah, gave us insights into other things that we could create. So the focus, yeah, early on really was building up this blog. Um, and then we started to get gigs doing a couple of workshops. We got one at a university in Sydney and that was was for students, but it was it gave us an opportunity to actually create some content. That was kind of, it's probably like a good four or five months into the business really. Um, and then early the following year, I remember this was like one moment where I was like, we've made it, that's it. Um, we got uh, a presentation to, del- like, to deliver a presentation in front of like 100 people and we got a lot of leads from that. Mm. It was from one of the training organisations. We put so much work in. I mean, I think we must have been writing the thing for about a month and a half over summer. Um, and, I mean, it must have been okay and we got – yeah, so we got some great leads so things sort of started to happen. So that was one of those moments where um, – and was one of the earliest lessons in the business of where I was like – I had this belief if you just – if you build it, they will come, mm. you know, if you create this product and it's good enough, then people will talk about it and they will be out there and you don't have to kind of do the hustle and be selling your product or, you know, you just need like that one big break. And so I thought that this presentation was that sort of big break and then we a lot of times kind of took the foot off the pedal a little bit and so you're doing some gigs but you're not necessarily, you know, you're doing the work but then you're not talking about the work that you're doing mm-hmm. and then you're not chasing it and it sort of dries up. So the first, as a result, you know, the first couple of years while we were getting some good creds and doing some good work was quite lumpy. Mm-hmm. It was learning those sort of lessons that 
actually you cannot take your foot off the pedal. Probably some hard lessons in there yeah, as well. Yeah, really, <laughs> you know, and really, really scary times mm. as well. I mean, early days we were like working from home as well, so your overheads are not really high. Mm. Um, we did hire an employee. So I actually had a um, – Chloe, my daughter, who's now three, had her really early in the business, so – I'd got back in, yeah, we'd sort of about six months in, I'd fallen pregnant and then I was sort of like, okay, so this is going to be a new challenge, mm. how to kind of do the baby thing. And, um, yeah, so I was working working with a new baby as well as kind of trying to grow this baby business. <laughs> and we, um, yeah, so I guess those, it's hard to kind of remember exactly like what are the really big pivotal moments from those days, but it's, you know, at, we yeah we had big moments where we do really great stuff and then be like that's it you mm. know cruise control now we've made our name we ran this big event um, called Bold Talks as well which was like a couple of years into the business and um, that was something we were like once we've launched this it's just it's all going to be kind of easy mm-hmm. straight on and so I guess in terms of yeah lessons from early days in business that that yeah, doesn't stop. Yeah. You know, it never stops. I think one thing, um, and, and I'll, again, I'll put my head up and say this is really just an end of one observation mm-hmm. about this whole journey, but it's, you know, my biggest realization from starting the podcast and a few other things I've been a part of recently is what you generally think it's going to be like is rarely actually that. Mm-hmm. And um, kind of back to what you spoke about, like the lean canvas, that gives you the opportunity to not think too deeply about that because with the podcast, the things I thought were going to be challenging weren't. And the things that I actually are challenging, I had no idea existed. Mm. Um, but actually starting it, and you, we spoke before, and you, you went through a very evolutionary process in terms of what you thought the business was going to be and how it started to evolve. But that feedback element, right? You're still trying to solve that same mm. problem. That's yeah. fair to say, that same yeah. kind of itch. But looking at the different ways, and I know somebody spoke about previously is about... Um, if you're married to the, if you're married to the pro- solving the problem, not married to the solution, yeah. and I think that's a big thing. I've seen a few people that I've had chats with recently that are on trying to go down that entrepreneurial journey. They're trying mm-hmm. to build everything off the ground, but even like Adam Jellick, he's just trying to solve a problem and and trying to just go, okay, let me just get something out there and start to get feedback on that, and then yeah. start to ask questions and start to build that as well too. So, um, I suppose the other thing I want to ask as well too is. Um, not only did you go through a bit of the ups and downs and the sort of the difference of expectations in terms of what the business was going to be like versus mm. what the business was, uh, is your co-founder left, um, you know, not too long when the business was still in its infancy, I guess. Mm. I'd love if you can kind of take us a little bit through. Well, yeah. she left, she actually left um, about 18 months ago. Yeah. So what was that? So two and a half years, nearly three years into the business. So she kept her, yeah, full-time job for sort of the first year of the business and then came out and then um, she, yeah, she had a baby and came back into the business and then it didn't sort of, didn't really work out and she Mm. decided to step back. But that, in terms of kind of, you know, wobbles that you have in business, that was definitely one of the biggest ones, absolutely, because we... You know, certainly from from my perspective I felt like we'd really we were hitting our strides we were starting to you know we'd we'd really the design thinking thing we'd kind of dipped our toe in the water um you know but it's about over three years ago now um which was part client-led and part interest mm-hmm. in our sort of sake but we'd really thrown ourselves into understanding that and hiring people that were experts in it as well to work with us 
um, one in particular who'd been running it over at IBM in London and and so from from what I saw this was like this was it like genuinely we really had some momentum we were mm. really going to take off um, but as founders we were you know just struggling with a lot of the things that now I realise are probably more common than I thought but just different expectations of where the business should be at that time um, different expectations of how people should be managed um, we were like biggest mistakes we were really uh, unclear about the roles in the business we just weren't mm. brave enough to have those conversations early on like the tough sh- conversations yeah there. and yeah. you've got to you know and so many people around us like we did um a couple of those kind of stuff we did the entourage like some startup kind of courses and things and um yeah and i just they would say all the time like you have to have those tough conversations or any business coach that we had or mentor mm. is like it's got to be clear who's doing what and if it isn't mm-hmm. you wind up looking over each other's shoulders yeah. to say you're not doing that right or da 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 you know and then it just becomes this kind of tit for tat and before you know it you're like am I pissed off about that because it's you or because <laughs> it's actually affecting the business you know yeah. and even when we were on that course like I remember at one point you know, like we, you get these certain amount of coaching sessions and like we were using our coaching sessions as kind of counselling sessions between mm. us and it's like we were, then we sort of realised like this is wrong, you know, we need to be using this on things to do with the business, mm. not fixing it. And it's like, you know, and a lot I've heard a lot of people compare it to kind of marriage and stuff now but it's so, yeah. you know, it is so much like that. Like it was like... A marriage in trouble and then it was mm. like a marriage breaking down when it kind of happens and um you know we're related and we're really good friends again but Which it's makes like it even more challenging both yeah, for those tough conversations completely but then yeah and then you know you've got to keep seeing each other for life after <laughs> 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 this family dinners can be yeah, terribly awkward <laughs> yeah i mean i think it, in terms of sweets it's probably as good as it could have been you know because i've heard about some absolute horror shows with people where it's got really, really messy and stuff. Mm. And ours certainly was nothing like that at all. It was really just time and decisions. And, and she also great gave me like this greatest gift of, you know, building this thing together and all the guts and, you know, blood, sweat and tears she put into it for those three years. And then, you know, then it's kind of yours to run. But at the same time, it, you know, I had this kind of celebration moment where I was like, yeah, I can do whatever I want now, you know. It's kind of like, it's a bit like Home Alone, you know. Ah! And then he realises, he's like, shit, it's not all about just ordering pizza and, yeah. you know, you kind of have this couple of months where, yeah, I'll do whatever I want with this thing and then suddenly it's like, ah, yeah, if you do whatever you want with this thing, you are dead in yeah. six months, you know. Yeah. And then I had this whole cycle of sort of, oh, my God, she's so right. She was so right about this she was so right about this she was so why didn't I listen you know and then they become this kind of oh my god you know I had this really massive crisis of confidence of like did she see something about this business before I did because mm. then I was like you know she's she's she is a really really smart person you know and I was like she, she must have seen that this is not gonna become what we dreamed it was going to become mm-hmm. blah 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 and that's why she's chosen to walk away and that was the story you know talking about stories that you tell yourself and what becomes your primary question and then that sort of became this question all the time so instead of looking for what I could be making amazing about this and everything that was good I was looking for the faults 
that I potentially didn't see that, you know, yeah, she had self-actualizing after a while. Completely. Too, so, like yeah. what, what is, what else can it be yeah. if the founder is that? And, yeah. and, you know, yeah. And another thing that, um, you know, I've since read a lot about is that how important the founder's psychology is in the business success. Yeah. Like the limits that you set on your business, are, it's all up here. Yeah, the business is really the you. business is yeah. your head, yeah. you know, and what is possible, and and even the things that I'd say to myself about, you know, what's possible for a consultancy or an education company, and it's like, you know, things like, well, we can never get investment, we'll never da da da, just all of these kind of things. It's like, really, mm. you know, or it all has to. I always have to be doing this, or I always have to be delivering this, and da da da. But really, and it, you know, when you start to question some of those things, that's when freedom and growth and all of these great things can happen yeah it's it's yeah so absolutely now the other thing i want to i want to kind of quickly go through before we transition on to the next section is i know something that is deeply held by a lot of people if you're looking to make the entrepreneur or entrepreneur journey i mean not just starting your own business but could be starting something internally or whatever Mm. taking that leap or looking for a career transition i think they're all they're all relevant but um as you mentioned, the first year was a little bit of up and down, feast and famine. And at the same time, while you were given some runway, um, you were also probably looking, and your family was also looking to transition on as well. So all of a sudden, you now start to get a bit of a, not a split, but there seems to become some tension after a while about mm-hmm. you know, why aren't we making lots of money wise mm-hmm. in this, you know, popping off half, yeah. you know, quicker than we do. I love if you can kind of take us a little bit about, um, you know some of the, the conversations you were having and how that sort of financial aspect and the the the, the business's success started to sort of mm. seep back into your personal life yeah so i guess um like i said my husband was really supportive still it's been ridiculously unbelievable in terms of support but he um said you know we agreed on kind of six months would be the time to really give it a go and when that sort of wasn't really eventuating you know we just weren't necessarily making money mm-hmm. really, at all really we were doing stuff but we were doing like a lot of stuff for free we were doing a lot of stuff for cheap because we were proving mm-hmm. these prototype workshops that we had um and so yeah so he you know the conversation started that maybe you should consider at least getting some part-time work mm. is that something that you really want to do so we agreed to move in with his parents it was supposed to be six months it ended up being two years and then some yeah um, that we had to stay there, which was down to me starting this business. Mm. Like we would have been out of there. Which know, must have sticks. taken a bit of an emotional toll Completely. going. Completely. Yeah. You know, and, and, you know, sometimes, and they're riding the wave with you, you know, when you've got yeah. that partner. So they ride up and then you think again, like you think this is our big break and blah, blah, and we've just signed this company and then they pull the deal on you at the last minute and then this person's devastated as well. And mm. so anyway, so we sort of, um, yeah, and I remember I went for an interview to do like a business banking role at one of the banks and I was kind of sitting across the table to do this. It was going to be like a two to three day a week role and then I was just like, oh, my God, what am I doing? No, not that it was just this. It wasn't that, that it was a bad job at all. It was just like this is, I can't. Like it's that leap mm. took, you know, we talked about that kind of, you know, the 12 months of the burn then the six months of the kind of getting ready to jump and then jumping. And then I was like, no. And I walked out of there and just like pretty much, I don't even think I had a car at that time, walked like half of the way, you know, down to get the tram home or whatever. And I was just like, 
this is I have to make this work. Mm. Like mm. I had there is, you know, and it's again it wasn't like about me wanting to be a business owner or me wanting to it was like I really believe this thing was something mm-hmm. like again about that really understanding what that problem was it's going to make a difference it's going to make a positive yes and it hasn't about this yeah and. it hasn't had a chance to yeah. prove itself yet and it just made me like it just shook out probably some of the cobwebs of mm-hmm. that you know i don't think it's like laziness but you know we sort of touched on it before it's like that expectation of you know, I'm going to get discovered yeah. almost like, you know, how I, th- you know, some maybe some actors are out there like pounding the pavement and some people are, you know, just waiting for that kind of big break. Yeah. And I think I was sitting in that kind of camp. I was like, you know, we're going to make a great mentor who's going to give us all these introductions and they're going to see that what we're creating is so valuable. And it's like that shit does not happen. Mm-hmm. Like you have to keep going out and making this product better and then you have to also go and talk about why this product is going to help people. And then that cycle goes over and over and over. Yeah. Maybe some people do get really, really lucky and, you know, that happens quicker yeah. for them. But in most cases... It's and definitely in my experience and still now, like, and you, you have to keep doing that. Yeah. You've got to keep doing the work. You've got to keep talking about the work. You've got to keep doing it, talking about it. And that's. Yeah, it doesn't just stop. It's not no. just like, hey, it's the finish line. Never. Congratulations. Yeah. It's, you, you go for it. But, yeah. And um, then it just gets bigger and the stakes get higher and the problems get bigger. And, yeah. But that's what you've got to. But the impact gets bigger that. too. Yeah. Right? You all of a sudden. Love and, that. and that's where I think this is, this is a really critical part of our chat. And I want to just. Just, just riff on this for a quick second that, um, you know, you can start a business and to make money. I mean, nothing wrong with that. I'll never judge anybody for just being like, I just want to make a shit ton of money as quickly mm. as possible. <laughs> Got that. Get it. Love it. Go for it. Just don't mm. be a dick to anybody on the way through. Right. <laughs> Simple rule. Um, but if you have that burning feeling, that 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 visceral discomfort that you don't just you can't really describe. I don't think anybody's been able to describe it. It's just mm. discomfort and butterflies it's fire whatever it is but you have that um you want to actually do something a purpose-driven life and again entrepreneur or entrepreneur you're Mm -hmm. sitting in a business and you see something and you want to change that or you want to make a difference you want to take that role or you want to make a career change it doesn't matter same thing um but it's about letting that really drive you and about being okay with that that you're trying to solve that problem, being married to the to the mm. solution. I'm sorry, to the problem, not to the solution, kind of thing. And, yeah. But but letting that drive you, letting that discomfort and that oh, this isn't right. Need mm. to really solve that. And um, that's been my big learning, if I'm honest, about the podcast and something I've really enjoyed and reflected a lot about. A lot of back is as as I very much think I'm the listener going through this journey in the, mm. in the podcast is like this is okay that's all right you know you, you know yeah one day you might make a break you might somebody might retweet you and oh boy you're, you're, you're loud you're making it right but um if that's if that's your exit strategy then mm. and that's the only thing that's keeping you going well um good luck that uh but actually dustin i think even there just with your gag about retweeting like you've touched on something that i think is really important because that was a trap that we fell into as well was like getting wrapped up in what you were doing on social media mm. became a really big thing, you yeah, know, and still it was, of that. <laughs> yeah, but like, but I mean, this is kind of important here as well, though, because you are building up like an audience and engagement and that sort of thing. But I think, you, you know, it doesn't mean you can produce a shit product mm. or have, you know, rubbish guests on as well. Like that's, <laughs> yeah. it doesn't matter how many people are following you on Twitter. Yeah. That's not going to, it's not going to, you know, solve the problem. So I think while I still invest time and energy and, um, we've got a great person doing social media stuff for us as well now. So, but it's not, that's not the win. Mm. Like it is, 
those things are kind of might make you feel like you're Vanity getting metrics. Yeah, yeah. exactly. You, it might feels like you're getting further ahead, but you're not. Yeah. It doesn't put dollars in the account. Yeah. Doesn't yeah. make real change in no, people's lives. Exactly. Yeah. And that's yeah. that's something I've I've really tried to that's my modicum of success and, and I'd be lying if I said I didn't event every once in a while I look at my um, download statistics or my mm-hmm. Facebook statistics and feel of initial pain of like is this really worth it? Is this, is this really actually mm. fucking worth the money and the time I put into this? Um, but at the same time, I love the journey. I love the process. Yeah. I'm, I'm trying to satisfy that burning. And I think I've gotten closer to it than I ever have in my life. And I love myself even more for that. Mm. Um, and, you know, I still do hear people who go, oh, that was a really good episode. I really yeah. needed to hear that. Yeah. Or having conversation with somebody and saying, hey, you need to listen to that. You need to listen to Andrew McKinnon. And they go back and they're like, yes, that's that's the conversation I needed to hear and I needed to have. So, um, But that sort of stuff, making a difference. Awesome. And, and then I believe everything else comes from that. Totally. Maybe that's a bit naive and I haven't made it yet, quote unquote. Oh, but it's well. my belief. You're doing awesome. I appreciate that. Thank you. <laughs> so from here, just keeping an eye on time. Um, spoiler alert: you're still you're making it. You're you're still around, even though we've gone through some, <laughs> some challenges. You're We're st- here. You're still here. Yeah. Um, I suppose obviously we've, you, you've talked a lot about the business and the journey you've been on. But as you look forward into the future, um, what's exciting you? What are you really mm. working on at the moment that's really got you passionately fired yeah. up? But you know, again, back to that solving that problem kind of thing. Yes. Or anything else you're doing around the business. Um, so, like, ridiculously excited about 2018. So we are um, – our mission at Naked Now, and the version that it is, is about democratising design thinking. So um, for people who are not sort of that familiar with design thinking, it's basic um, – basic definition is that it's just like a methodology and a mindset for solving problems, identifying opportunities. So used a lot in innovation. It's kind of having its moment in the sun. <laughs> it is, yeah. um, I love it. To the point where I think someone said to me the other day, yeah, there's if you know, if they make a gif about this and it's um it's on its way out and that's starting <laughs> to happen. <laughs> People are getting a bit of design thinking fatigue. Um, we might be part of that. But what we're it's it still is something that, you know, did belong a little bit in the innovation labs um, or, you know, product teams would be exposed to it. Digital teams were using it. It's a bit of a UXy thing as well. But we believe that it everybody needs it, the basics of it, you know, it, across organisations, even if it's just getting you closer to understanding what your customer wants or if it's just as we spoke about before, having an idea and knowing how to act on it. Mm. So it's not having that idea and then needing to share it with a million people and getting all their opinion on it before mm. you've even sort of thought it through. So met tools and techniques, really important, but mindsets is a huge yeah. part of it as well. And it's really beautifully linked to a lot of other great stuff that's going on. You know, growth mindset is another big thing at the moment. Um, so, so yeah, so in terms of leadership and people working, that your entrepreneurs and your entrepreneurs, I think absolutely everyone needs to have this design thinking skill set. So our mission is democratising design thinking, taking it to the masses. So um, our design thinking boot camp has been sort of our fastest growing product over probably the last 12 months. And then we made a decision to run those en masse. Um, hopefully across the country next year as well so we can take this to as many people as possible because there's a lot of great courses out there um, to learn design thinking you can do it kind of online and a lot of the great agencies and stuff that are sort of from San Fran are teaching it Um, but there's I think nothing compares to that full day immersion that experience and coming back to the beginning of our conversation still what Naked is about Mm. it's about 
you know, that was not corporate training. Yeah. That was like nothing I have been to before. Like that is what we are seeking is that experience that just blows your mind. You know, if you can think about the best event you've been to or the best training experience, it's like I wouldn't even put that in corporate. I can't even believe my boss paid for that, you know. <laughs> but you still have that great learning yeah. that you can take back to your team and so that's what we want to do. So we want to light that spark in as many people as possible um, via our sort of immersive programs it's kind of one piece of it and then hopefully then that allows us to kind of to partner with more companies to do more of our in-depth bigger pieces of work mm. so we sort of have um three but that's been a big part of the journey as well over the last couple of years is going from you know can you be everything to everyone which i think is what a lot of consultancies fall into mm. and so i made the decision 18 months ago that we're not going to do that anymore. We're going to be an education company who's just amazing at the things that we do. And so we basically have like a, a smaller concentrated mm. suite of products, um, but with them we can really measure return and measure results on them and, and speak confidently with clients about this will, this is who your people will mm. be after this, but also you get a business outcome. So we yeah. put them through... We teach them design thinking, but they solve a business challenge at the same time. So you get like this double value mm. basically where you get innovation happening and you get people who know how to innovate. And that's that's the change that we're driving. Yeah. Yeah, it's exciting. I love it. I, I love this whole thing. I've had the opportunity to sit down with a few people, including yourself, and, and talk about design thinking. And it's it's I'm all about mental models because um, trying to get from point A to point B to point C to point D through a thought process, you can try to reinvent it. You can try to invent that process. But frankly speaking, I think a lot of other people who are a lot smarter than me have found a process or a framework <laughs> to put that into. So I'd much rather say, okay, here's you know here's here's the coloring book or here's like you know the lines. Mm -hmm. Let me sort of try to connect things together in more of a methodical fashion and I, I feel it's much more efficient and the ways that translates both from a personal individual aspect of trying to figure out the podcast through to large organizations I've heard about some stuff that's happening like massive multi-billion dollar business I've been around for like 200 yeah. years some cool shit's happening mm. like just full stop cool shit is happening yeah um, and the stuff you really want to be involved in so I think that's great and even just checking out some of the stuff you have uh, just thinking about how this sort of how this is sort of meaningful to employees and businesses mm. and just some of the stuff you have published is great and I've really enjoyed it so I encourage yeah. anybody listening and we'll links we'll talk about that in a moment but check it out so yeah I appreciate you sharing that cool um, but I suppose that being said keeping it on time uh, it's time to jump into our rapid fire questions mm -hmm. are you ready to go yep let's do it perfect so the first question is is what book has most changed your life and I'd love if you can place this as to where you read it and the mm. context that it changed everything okay um I have to mention The Artist's Way because that was one of the books that mm -hmm. changed my life. I don't even remember the first time I picked that up, but I have – it is always one I've picked up when I've kind of needed it, like finds you again. But I think like the moment reading a book that I remember so clearly was actually reading um, The Alchemist nice. in Thailand once yeah. in New Year's. Um, and I remember reading it and just being like, whoa, this is kind of – stuff is really starting. Like this is going to be the beginning of my life the new phase of so it was that was when I was kind of on my way over to London 
reading that book. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that was and, pretty amazing. And it just, might have been Magic Mushrooms as well. Oh, a little, little from yeah. Colin <laughs> Bates. A little else, all right. Uh, just for people listening, what is The Alchemist about? Just a quick kind of uh, where, did that, where did that change? Yes, yes. So it's, um, it's a fable mm-hmm. um, and it's about a young guy who um, it's – short book about basically his journey so he thinks he's he's a shepherd and he thinks he's going off seeking um gold but in the end just finds out more about him sort of ace beautiful yeah love it (laughs) yeah i can see where thailand would um play a part in that yeah i've picked it up a couple of other times i think i'm not getting the um yeah, that's the crux of it anyway. No, yeah, I think it's I think that's, journey. I think it's great. Right? It was. I think it's the that the he goes on this. So he goes on this full journey, but what he was searching for was where he was the whole time. Oh, well, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was in him. Yeah, yeah. I love it. The magic. <laughs> uh, I love that. I, I, I think that's just. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I could rant all about that all day. Anyway, um, <laughs> who's been the greatest influence on your life growing up? And it could be somebody you didn't mm. know or some other prominent figure. Okay. Um, I think on this one actually it is my um, – it's probably like my grandparents and uncle. So I think I mentioned before we were like part of um, eight kids and so school holidays were a bit mental for my mum. Um, and so I was number five and so we'd all, she'd always like ship at least four of us off to my grandparents <laughs> and they had this um, farm in the country kind of in between like on the border of New South Wales and Victoria and – it was just like a paradise for us kids because we were just completely um, free to roam and do mm. whatever we wanted. It was a bit like living in an Eden Blarton book where you could just discover any kind of mystery. So that was pretty amazing. And my uncle um, who was, yeah, who lived there with them as well was just awesome and just used to let us used to let us do a lot of stuff we shouldn't have been doing at our age, like burning around on motorbikes at like seven or eight years old. Um, yeah, so I think I think them as they were a huge influence on just kind of freedom early on, yeah. I'm curious as well, um, you know, one thing I think we sort of picked up from the earliest part of our chat today is that you, you do have an insatiable curiosity about things. Um, do you think that started? Just explain, mm-hmm. uh, do you think that was sort of that was seated into you when you were really out and about and exploring Probably. and, and whatnot? Yeah. Can you draw um, that back to any one maybe one thing, if if possible? I don't know if it is possible to really. I go. think so. Yeah. I think I think as well. It's probably a product. A lot of yeah. I had a lot of freedom in childhood as well, and I think it's a product of just being in such a big family that you end up being kind of raised by the older kids. Mm. They sort of set the rules and boundaries and things. So even, yeah, when we were at home, we used to just roam around doing kind of whatever we wanted to do day to day, finding (laughs) things, selling things, you know, like washing cars, finding little, you know, like little Mm. ways of just, yeah, Exploring. Yeah, exploring things. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Um, What gives you a disproportionate return on investment of your time and energy? Definitely early morning work. Really? Yeah. So I never used to be really a morning person, but that was another thing that banking got into me. Like we used to have to be sometimes if we were doing an issue, we'd have to be um, an offering at the desk at like six o'clock in the morning. So how early are you usually doing early morning work? Now, yeah, yeah. So I still, still get up at like quarter to six, yeah, and do <laughs> and do kind of like a bit of a morning routine, and then like I find an hour and a half of work 
first thing in the morning is the equivalent of like four or five hours for me later on. Like afternoons, I just... Mm. Yeah. Any particular types of work that you try to do? Is there Most any, creative work. Most creative yeah. work in the morning. Yeah. Check email first or nah. no email? No. Nah. Phones away? No. Nah. 6 a.m.? Yeah. Creative? Unless, I mean, if I'm like, honestly, if I'm waiting for something that <laughs> was course. coming in overnight yeah. that it's really stressing Barring me, I'll check. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But definitely try to avoid email before that and like either most creative or hardest Mm. work so if it's you know if it's making changes to um you know something we're delivering a workshop something that's really complicated or some thinking that i need to do for a client that time is unbelievable like something that yeah if i i used to do a lot of night work in the beginning days of the business before i got into this groove and it was just a nightmare, you know, when it's like eight o'clock, everything feels so hard. Yeah, it's hard. Yeah. And, you know, and like having the – and I didn't – you know, then I'd be stressed putting my um, – putting Chloe, my daughter, to bed. So it's just like, get in bed. Yeah. Like I've got to get back on the computer and do this work. And it just turned me into just not a good person. And then it's kind of like – you know, that's one of those traps you fall into where you think, oh, that's startup life. You know, I've got to be working 24-7. Yeah, exactly. Day, like, and yeah. I'm not – but now it's like like my will is – I mean, it has to be an emergency for me to do yeah. stuff at night. I just don't acknowledge I'm useless. Always enjoy myself but go to bed pretty early, like really early to be honest, like 8.30, 9 o'clock. And then then just get up super early and just punch stuff out. And then I'm just like whatever's happened, I've won. Mm. like that's nothing else yeah. happens of that morning i love that gets that, it. that that's something I, I believe um one of my personal beliefs is success leaves clues right that, that's part of the reason why i do this podcast and frankly mm. if nobody listened to it not that people would probably give me their time if nobody listened to it but um is is just finding those clues right and you know if one person says it great two people says it fantastic if three four five six seven people say it's like okay maybe there's something here uh but that's been a recurring theme is mm. people that have that um uh, that way to set up their day for success. Mm. But I think as well, too, something that I've been thinking about um, is also, I think part of that is also having rules for mm. your life as well. And, and I think setting up for success in the morning activity is a rule. Um, and where I'm picking up, a lot of people have those different rules mm. that they have in um, Sundays or this, Saturdays or this, Wednesdays, yeah. family time, whatever it might be. But those critical little rules, um, you know, Saturday is a cheat day for food, whatever it might be, but mm. those little rules for success. And if you if you can achieve that, you get that win. Morning, day, Saturday, Wednesday, afternoon, Sunday, it doesn't matter, but you get that little win. Yeah. I think that's so critical. Yeah. I think it, I mean, I've got another baby coming in a month, so I think it's just going to go totally out the window. <laughs> the morning time. Yeah, fair enough. It's going to be any time. But like I, that in seeing the yeah the productivity uplift and the changes personally that is just something that i've just changed my life yeah morning work. And, and anybody can do this too this is this is this is something that i i kick myself in my ass for is because if i had listened to you a year ago i'd have been like you know that's nice but i've got a nine-to-five job like yeah. i'm not gonna get up an hour early and do work <laughs> right um because i still gotta put in my 40 hours and nobody's you know uh, most businesses aren't really awarding you if you're leaving before five o'clock, right? Yeah. Um, but to use that time for whatever you're doing. Mm. So it might be journaling. 
Um, maybe it doesn't have to be an hour. Maybe it's just yeah. 10, 15 minutes. So just journal. What do you want? What's a problem? What's that question? Get the monkey mind out. Um, you know, you can write a anything. book like that screenplay that I wrote. Yeah. That was no joke getting up at quarter to five because I was still doing banking hours mm. and it was just smashing out 45 minutes of that in the morning and then doing bits on the weekend. That's when that really started. Yeah. And it's like it's it's worth so much more because you get that fresh unjunked. Yeah. Like you're talking about that monkey mind. If you you can kill that if you do the journaling or sometimes if you're lucky enough you just don't have it yet like mm. it hasn't woken up yeah yeah, yeah or a- anything blogging or anything yeah, and completely. even if and even as an on-ramp somebody was chatting with the other day even if you even if you do that on the train or in your commute in obviously don't do this if you're driving um but i got a friend who started to do that as, on his commute in so he doesn't check email all those sorts of things doesn't rule um what mantra or inspirational quote has most changed your life and why? And I love if you can place this as to where you first heard it. Mm, it's funny that you um, – you, it's like a good segue into that. At discipline equals freedom. Yes. Yeah. Jocko. Yeah. Is it his? Yeah. yeah I've read yeah. it. Discipline um, equals freedom. Yes. Yeah. In Tools of Titans. Yes. So I got that book like 12 months ago and it was one of those ones like I'm like, oh, I've just got to read that. Like you know you've got to read it but – it just became like a, yeah. when am I going to do it? And I tried a couple of times and then was on holidays for two weeks and I was just like could not stop, like couldn't, once mm. I started, couldn't put it down. But, yeah, but then that kept on coming up. I reckon that comes up four times across that book of people that Ferris has interviewed but in different variations. Yeah. I just call it different things. But it's so true. Like I find it's the same thing with raising a child. It's like, you know, if you can get that bedtime routine mm. sorted, which I still haven't, but... <laughs> <laughs> then that equals freedom, like the morning routine, all of those things equal freedom. Same thing as work. Like if you know you have just smashed, you know, given it everything you can, you may not have necessarily like succeeded mm. for that day, but you can feel okay afterwards. Like you can feel that freedom. Um, yeah, I think it's real. I remember even um, an interview James Corden talked about Tom Hanks who lives by that. Like he's never – we had him on the show on his late night show and he just wanted to rehearse and rehearse and rehearse and rehearse and he was like at least we know if we've done everything we mm. possibly can then we'll enjoy our time outside all of this yeah. it's so true yeah. if you know you've done everything you can yeah. you're free absolutely um i i will send you the audio link to jocko williams most recent mm. audio book uh, sorry his most recent book um Tremendously great, very digestible, broken into chunks. Some of the stuff isn't relevant. Some of the stuff is more relevant. Um, but uh, anybody that listens to that and can't tell me that they feel a bit more empowered mm. to, to move the needle in their life, yeah. I, I don't know. Food, exercise, everything. Everything, yeah. everything. And, and where that comes from too, like, I mean, I won't do Jocko um, justice in this but it's the discipline it's not just enough to do the discipline but it's cultivating the discipline yeah. right um and, and what that actually means like what that actually fucking means mm. that's so important and mm. I, I and i think something i said a while back in a podcast that's probably i didn't realize what i was saying at the time but um we talked about making the bed in the morning right yeah another, another big thing yeah. to do yeah. but but as i think about it i actually I actually don't think it's about making the bed. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's about having rules for your life and the mm-hmm. discipline to execute those rules every yeah. single day without so um, uh, without exception. And that's what I think that is. Yeah. So if you can if you can make your bed every day, you can do one or two things to cultivate discipline. Um, mm. Your life's just gonna be better. Yeah. Full stop. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, totally. What, uh, if you could give a 20 minute TED talk or some other speech on something you're maybe not well known for, uh, maybe a hobby or some other interest, what would it be and why? Mm-hmm. Um, this is a funny moment. It's not what you do, but I think possibly on naps. <laughs> like, <laughs> I just think culturally we need to be, to be napping more. Like we need to bring back the nap. Yes. I, yeah. I, I used to nap just everywhere i used to find the most creative places to nap when i was working in banking like yeah like the most obscure bathrooms and all kinds of things trains and whatever but um yeah I, it's the nap is just so important mm. i thought i'd do a ted talk on the power of that love it i fully fully support and ariana that. huffington has like actually built something from that now like the power of you know from huffington post the power That's of right. sleep yes she talks about that it's like that the danger it's like sitting and not getting enough sleep are like our actual biggest health problems now but mm, mm. yeah I, I love that um awesome. something too i think on a, on a, i've had a few people in my life that are that like i gotta work the 16 hours a day kind of thing and and Tim Ferriss has talked about this but it's like an abraham lincoln quote or something it's like mm. give me a tree to chop down four hours and i'll spend the first two hours sharpening the axe yeah and then that's that's sort of how i how i view my yeah. metaphor for naps kind of like sharpen that axe and then yeah. Can cut through it. Okay. Um, can you quickly tell me about your morning routine? Yes. Um, so I have to say I don't do all of this all the time, but my ideal morning routine – actually, one thing I do every single morning is I always have a green smoothie. So that's my, like, first thing. Mm-hmm. So I just make that. I'd, I've never really liked cereal kind of breakfasty things, so the Nutribullet, like, changed my life a few years ago. So I always have a Nutribullet first thing in the morning and then um, I do journaling. So that usually involves like it's just three freeform pages. So it's not kind of necessarily always the gratitude business. It's just more of the junk that's in my head. So, so you're just, just downloading, downloading whatever downloading. you're sort of yeah. thinking. There's no like I'm going to write about this no. or solve this problem. It's just no, of verbal. Just, yeah, which is that the artist's way method. It's just like getting the junk she doesn't call it monkey mind but it's the same principle she's like just getting the junk that's in your head that's in your subconscious out Mm. sometimes you get some really good stuff out of it but yeah but you shouldn't read back on it you just get the junk out clear it and then go and do that and then i work Mm. and then that's when i do like those that solid time yeah awesome yeah um yeah, I've, I've loved this chat. I think we've, we've we've really gone pillar to post and everything. But I really appreciate your time, um, you know, opening up about your story and sharing a lot of the wisdom and a lot of the experiences you've had. Um, just for people uh, listening at home or uh, wherever they may be, um, where can they stay up to date to 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 your journey and connect with yourself? Yeah, great. Probably LinkedIn would be yeah. the best place. So I'm on LinkedIn a lot. Um, find me on there. You can sign up to our events and latest happenings on our website as well so naked-ambition.com.au is where we'll be but um yeah thank you so much for having me such a great great podcast and it's so well organized and yeah thank you it's a cool guy dustin Hey, Fiona. Sorry, <laughs> I'll slip you the twenty dollars after recording yeah. that. So, oh, that's <laughs> No, Fiona, this has cool. been wonderful. I'll make sure I include all the links um, in uh, in the show notes as well too. Mm-hmm. So, if anybody wants to reach out and stay connected, please do so. Um, some very cool things here, and even just to sort of you know just to see some of the bits of design thinking that you're producing, um, it's a great sort of on ramp into this, this wonderful world of just better ways of doing stuff. Uh, full stop. Um, so, I'll make sure I include those links. But Fiona, again, I really appreciate your time. Thanks so much. Thanks. Thank you so much.
Hi everyone, and thank you again for joining me for today's chat. Please make sure you jump on Facebook to quickly like and share this podcast episode. If you're not already following me, please take another quick minute to hit that like button so you can stay up to date with all new podcast episodes, exciting announcements, and other things going on. You can find me on Facebook at Project Y2, that's at Project Y and the number two. You can also follow me on LinkedIn if you're there. Don't forget to share and rate this on wherever you find your podcast episodes, and I look forward to having you join me again for our next Y2 podcast.